It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another episode of Movies You Should Love. I'm Lauren and he is... Scott. That is correct, yes. And uh, what we're doing here is we are looking at all kinds of films, um... And we're just kind of picking them apart, analyzing them, critiquing them, uh, maybe occasionally mocking them. Um, But mostly we're just kind of digging into them. And uh, we just want to kind of show you what makes them tick um, and why you should love them. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so you can... uh, Always join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com or follow us on Twitter, uh, hashtag, or at moviesyoushould, I should say. Yes. Yeah. At, at moviesyoushould. Movies yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, today's movie, we're going to be talking about number 86 on AFI's top 100 list, which is Oliver Stone's Platoon. Uh, but before we get to that, Scott, what have you been watching recently? Uh, well, the wife and I have been really enjoying the sun setting earlier. When the sun sets earlier, we kind of snuggle in and watch a lot of movies and a lot of TV. Um, recently, uh, one of these movies that I saw by myself, I have that big ramp up, and then um, I went and saw uh, Haywire. I had a day off, and I, it was a movie I was really intrigued by. The, the trailer, I thought, looked really just cool. It's like, it just looked like a cool trailer. Um Directed by Steven Soderbergh, who you might know from the Ocean's Eleven, the recent Ocean's uh, trilogy, as well as a bunch of other really, I think, pretty fantastic films. Haywire is a lot of fun. It is a really good action movie. It's a um, there's three reasons I love this movie. <laughs> Gina Carano is number one, and it rolls, and she rolls right into number two. Gina Carano is an MMA fighter who is not an actress, and you can kind of tell in the movie. Um, that being said, they structure the movie and write the movie in such a way and cast the movie in such a way that she doesn't have to be a great actress to be incredibly charismatic and incredibly impressive. This movie is filled with phenomenal actors. Uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, Michael Douglas, Bill Pullman, um, Michael Antonio, Fass- Antonio Banderas, Banderas, Michael Fassbender. Um, it's like it's like every single scene she is with somebody who is a great actor, um, and then she's also in there with Channing Tatum once, which is okay. <laughs> Channing Tatum Aww. has very unique as an actor. He has a unique quality that makes me want to punch his face every time he's on screen, um, and she does that for me in the first scene. So immediately I'm like, I'm gonna love this movie. <laughs> um, and that rolls right into one of the things I really liked about this, and which is the strong female protagonist. Um, I hope I don't t- sound too sexist in what I'm about to say, but if I do, it probably is because I am rather sexist. Um, she is unlike a lot of other action heroines. Too many times I'm, I, I find myself frustrated by uh, actresses who are cast because they are quote unquote sexy or beautiful or hot. And then they get put into, you know, tight spandex or leather or whatever. And we're supposed to, we we are supposed to take them seriously as action stars, even though they're running through these fight scenes in high heels, kind of that whole medieval fantasy, but they're wearing like a thong and a, right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there was a time for that where it was kind of fun. And, but now I think we're kind of past that. And I think we're, the world is ready for a, legitimate action hero who is a female, a Wonder Woman character. And Gina Carano is it. She she is sexy in this. 
but she, there is nothing sexual about what she does. She is just a woman who knows how to handle herself, and that is very attractive. I I think, and just watching her, you just go like, wow, she knows what she's doing. You know, she can hold her own in in this world and doing really anything, and it's phenomenal. And she is just. You can't take your eyes off of her the entire time. The way she's, you know, but it's not because of the way she's dressed. She's dressed very realistically. She she always dresses in a way that's both um, uh, realistic and uh, functional. It's like she's wearing clothes that you think a person who is going to be on the run would wear, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and when she fights, holy cow, like she scares you. It's like, and she's pulling off this stuff and. She does all her own stunts in this movie. She is somebody who knows how to take a hit, who knows how to hit, who knows how to fall. And so they don't need to cut away and show, you know, a stunt double doing this stuff. And it's really pretty impressive. Um, the other thing that I liked, and this is just maybe for me, is that there's a very large portion of this movie that takes place in Dublin, Ireland. And I lived there for a year. And I just got the biggest kick out of the fact that the way they filmed it, it is a geographically accurate <laughs> Dublin. It's like I recognized a street she was on. I went, oh! right around the corner it's Grafton Street and she runs around the corner and goes right into Grafton Street and then goes down this, then she goes past St. Stephen's Green and all these places and I knew exactly where she was and I knew what was around the corner and it was around the corner and I just got a, a kind of a kick out of that um, it's not the most amazing story it's essentially a, a spy revenge story where she kind of gets betrayed and she's trying to find out who did it and why um, and it's kind of told through a series of flashbacks and it's but I really really enjoyed it I would recommend it for a good you know night of action thriller espionage whatever you're looking for <laughs> two thumbs up I would say also saw Real Steel uh, which is a movie that's a lot better than it should be um, I, and I give the complete credit to the act the, uh, the cast Hugh Jackman Evangeline Lilly and the there's a little boy in this who I don't know his name it's, I think it's, it might be his first film um, but they give this movie 110% and it makes you believe it because I mean essentially this movie is Rock'em Sock'em Robots the movie mm-hmm. and it really should be as entertaining as it is but Hugh Jackman believes what he's doing you know and I think that's something that he brings to all his movies but him and you know seeing how in emotionally invested he and both of Evangeline Lilly who played Kate on Lost um, seeing how emotionally invested they are in these robots makes you completely believe the situation it makes you go oh this is a world that could actually be and you kind of get pulled into the story um, you know it's a fun movie I mean it's you know how it's going to end from the beginning it's kind of every boxing movie you've ever seen or every sports movie you've ever seen with robots um but that being said, it's a good time. Very cool. <clears throat> uh, I just want to touch on very briefly Boardwalk Empire and Downton Abbey. I know those are TV shows. I know we are movies you should love. Um, but if you love movies, specifically like um, Goodfellas, you need to be checking out Boardwalk Empire. I know I'm not saying anything new in saying it's a, a phenomenal show. Um, but Kelly and I sat down. We watched the entire first season, I think, in like two days. Um we just got sucked into it so quickly. And what I was most impressed with is that the characters are all, each character in that show is so fully developed that you could make a show about any one of them, focusing on any one of them. And it would be a very interesting show. Um, And that's not something you can say for a lot of other ensemble pieces. Like my other new favorite show, Downton Abbey, which 
is a, a show that just it's a very slow burn of a show it, the first episode didn't pull me in but the second and third did and while it's a great show there are some characters in that that aren't developed enough for you to be really emotionally invested in you kind of go oh yeah and then there's that person who's interesting but whatever mm-hmm. um we just finished watching the second season of that it just came out on dvd and blu-ray and it's we love it there's two characters bates and anna who i just adore and i have, I have no problem saying that and i was telling a friend about it at work he's like isn't that a soap opera are you a girl why do you like that and i'm like i'm like yes it is especially the second season it gets a little bit more soap opery but i i i love it i don't know what it is completely i haven't been able to put a finger on it but it just i care about a lot of these characters maybe it's because so many of those characters are actually really good people Mm -hmm. um and then the other characters is one guy named thomas who you hate but you still feel sorry for when he tried because there comes a point in the second season where he tries several times to be good and it doesn't work for him and you go i'm rooting for the antagonist this is bizarre um and you actually are very emotionally affected by it and so i think a lot of it is the good writing is the good acting but at the same time it's like if you were to describe it to me it's not necessarily a show that I would be like, well, sign me up for that. I would have loved it, you know. Um, I think season one's on Hulu now. Um, It's definitely a show I think everybody should check out. And I would say, if you're going to check out Downton Abbey, give it two or three episodes because it is a bit of a slow burn, but you'll find yourself at the end of those episodes wanting to know more. Yeah, it's uh, just to chime in on those. Uh, both are shows that I've really, really liked. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Boardwalk Empire is very... Uh, you know, Martin Scorsese helped produce it. And he directed the first episode. And he directed the first episode. Um, you know, it's very... Um, it's definitely an HBO show. There's plenty of the sex and violence. Language, and language. Just, you know. It's an R-rated show. Yeah. But that said, it is infinitely watchable. I mean, it's just... it's it's so fascinating to see these characters and the characters in it uh you know some of them are amalgams of other characters and some of them are you know al capone is in yeah, it and I was expecting al capone to be in it and i love seeing him and i want yeah. to see more of him and yeah so he's it's kind of scary though because he's so unhinged yeah it's you know it i would basically describe the show as somewhere between like kind of a cross between um I don't know, Deadwood and Road to Perdition. So yeah. if, if nope, that, that's perfect, it's yeah. It's uh, prohibition, and I was learning things about prohibition. Like mm-hmm. I thought alcohol was illegal during prohibition. Apparently, it was only the sale of prohibi- of alcohol. alcohol. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't realize that. And uh, yeah, it's it, is fantastic. And I think you get the characters are like I said, they're so well developed that they start making these decisions that. I mean, they, they, they're very morally ambiguous. You kind of go, oh, I don't know if that's the right decision, but in this world, I want her to end up with him. I want her to do this. Mm-hmm. Or do I? You know, I want her to, you know, it's so interesting. It's at this interesting point in American history, politically and everything, that it's just yeah. it's really interesting to see the growth and evolution of it. Yeah. And there is a, um, there's a series of books uh, by Max Allen Collins, mm-hmm. who... Um, uh, uh, wrote Road to Perdition. Yeah, he wrote Road to Perdition, but he also wrote a series of books, um, uh, which are detective novels about a detective named Nate Heller, and they all revolve around Chicago uh, and gangland and that kind of thing during Prohibition and, and the years afterwards. And uh, it's very reminiscent of that even as well. So, I mean, just 
if you're interested in that world, those are all fascinating things to kind of take a look at. Um, and then, and then Downton Abbey. Um, yeah, I've I've loved it too. I, I think what really works for me is that um, it is a soap opera kind of, but it's mm-hmm. really, really believable characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, especially the first season does not feel contrived at all. It feels no, it's a, it, season one felt more like a mm-hmm. character exploration. Like yeah. here are these characters and season one begins at the sinking of the Titanic. And mm-hmm. so you go put that as the backdrop. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this. Yeah. And, and doing that, it's, it's almost less of a soap opera, at least the first season. Um, and more of kind of a weekly, drama that follows these mm-hmm. people. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. There's some characters um, that, for me, that's what happened, is I fell in love, again, with Bates and Anna, uh, especially. And, um, yeah, their their relationship was really what kept me watching um, Absolutely. Into, into the second season and beyond, hopefully. And so. What was impressive to me was, in the second season, I started to care about the daughters in a way I didn't yeah. care about in the first season. And part of it is probably because of the soap opera nature, where they you start getting into really just relationship issues and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that kind of fleshed them out in a way that I was really interested, that it pulled me in more. And also, the first half of season two, you're cutting back and forth between... Um, the house and all of their what they think are very important mm-hmm. situations and the trenches of World War One, <laughs> yeah. Know? And so you get this really interesting world context for like, mm-hmm. what do you think is important? Is it the fact that the doilies are on the wrong side of the whatever, and mm-hmm. or people are getting shot? Exactly, and and I think that again is some of what's really interesting about it is because it's it's not just kind of the soapy things of it. It's it's this historic lesson at the same time of kind of you know here is what it would have been like to be a servant here's what it would have been like to be you know a a minor lord in a minor county somewhere and you know and you get greater lords and things showing up you know it's just this is this is what you know less than a hundred years ago this is what life was like yeah in england at this point in a small town and that's just it's very it's very fascinating. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's very it's, enjoyable. It is, and what's impressive is like they they make it impressive and they suck you in without any language, nudity, violence, or sex. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's like the you know some of those things are in the show, but it's done in that old fashioned kind of way where it happens behind closed doors, mm-hmm. or you see it at, you see the thing afterward. You don't see or hear any of it, and so it's almost the opposite of uh, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire, Empire in some yeah. ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder very quickly. I want to touch on these two other films. One is Heaven. Have you seen this, Lauren? I have not. I just heard about it this week, and I work at uh, McKay Used Books and CDs. Um, and so, when this guy at work told me about this movie, I rushed out to the floor and I bought it because I had to see it. It's called Heaven. Mm-hmm. It's written by Christoph Kislowski. Yes, a name I know mm-hmm. I destroyed. Who wrote and directed the Decalogue and the Three Colors trilogy. Both of which are incredibly, like, if you haven't seen them, go out and rent them or buy yes. them or whatever now and go watch them. And it's, But he wrote this before his death. He was never able mm-hmm. to make this. This was supposed to be the first in a new trilogy called uh, Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory. Um, it's directed by Tom Tickwer, who directed Run, Lola, Run, Perfume, and The International. Um, it stars Kate Blanchett and Giovanni Ribisi, and... It is a phenomenal film. It, it, it blew me away. Uh, 
guy at work was telling me, his name's Eric, and I thanked him immediately afterwards, after I saw this. It's a very allegorical film, as you would expect from Kozlowski, um, after seeing, especially after considering the Decalogue. And for those of you who don't know, the Decalogue was a basically a 10-part miniseries he did for Polish TV, I think, that yeah. each episode ex- yeah, each episode basically explored one of the Ten Commandments. And this is... I don't want to give really almost anything away about about this film. Um, it's on Netflix streaming, so you can get it today. Um, but Kate Blanchett... I can, I'll tell you the first ten minutes, and let you go from there. But um, Kate Blanchett plays a English teacher. She teaches English, and she's also British. Um, living in Italy who has become frustrated with the cop's inability to, um, to stop this man who's been selling drugs at her school. So she decides to take matters into her own hands and plants a bomb in this man's office so that, you know, get rid of this guy who's selling drugs to her children. Um, something goes terribly wrong. He doesn't die, but three innocent people do. Juvon Ribisi plays this um, interpreter in the interrogation room who's there and here's her story and the story goes from there and all I want to say I'm going to leave it at that because the movie is kind of fanciful especially the way it progresses and the way it ends Um, it's it's definitely allegorical and it explores the concept of heaven in a very interesting way that I was not expecting Um, and I can't recommend enough to anybody who enjoys um thinking on such things mm-hmm. <laughs> I will leave it at that because the movie really just kind of needs to be experienced it is it is rated R for one kind of sex scene that happens um, other, other than that it's pretty, it's pretty tame, it's almost a PG movie other than that um, other movie that I saw last night did you see, have you seen this yet? it is literally the next disc that I have sitting here from Netflix I love the Midnight in Paris I am not a fan of Woody Allen in any way. <laughs> um, I kind of find most of his movies are really... I assume I had to have been there when I watched most of the movies. I, I can see how important they were in the context of the time, but I feel like most of his jokes and most of his stories are things that are a, a product of their time, and so they just don't connect with me most of the time. I did like Matchpoint and a couple of... And um, Vicky Christie Barcelona I thought was enjoyable. Um but Midnight in Paris, oh my goodness, it is a fun movie that just like, it is a, this, Owen Wilson plays this writer who's gone to Paris with his fiance, and um, it involves a little bit of time travel in a really kind of almost un, like blink and you'll miss it sort of way, just when the, the clock strikes midnight when you're on the street of Paris, you might run into F. Scott Fitzgerald. You might run into Ernest Hemingway. You might run into Cole Porter or Gertrude Stein. And he's so the movie ends up being about this writer who like starts talking to these other writers that he loves about his work and going, I'm trying to be a, I want to write a book, but I've only ever been a screenwriter. The character seems like he's Woody Allen, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> definitely speaking from Woody Allen's perspective. Um, Ernest Hemingway steals the show. He is so funny. He has like he's got the best lines. Very Ernest Hemingway. Just like I never I never imagined what Ernest Hemingway was really like, but now this I'm positive this is the way he was. It's just it's it's a lot of fun. The only thing I had against it is I felt like the movie ended a little abruptly. I could have by the time it got to the ending, I could have handled another 10-15 minutes of it. Um, the whole ride was just so enjoyable. Again, Tom Hiddleston shows up, who I talked about in when I was 
reviewing the movie Warhorse. He shows up as F. Scott Fitzgerald, and uh, just a ton of fun. This is a great movie. I can see why it's getting some of the acclaim and um, attention it's getting right now. This is a really, really good movie. Yeah, well, um, I don't think I've watched quite as much as you <laughs> um, I don't have a life. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's see. I've, I've seen a couple of documentary kind of films here recently. Um, I've had a couple of of uh, health issues here recently that um, have kind of made me need to change the way that I'm eating and stuff a little bit. And we've had some friends who have gone completely vegan after watching uh, these movies. And so I was kind of like, okay, fine. I have to actually watch these. Um, <laughs> so I saw Fat Sick and Nearly Dead and Forks Over Knives, um, which I know both have been kind of, have created their own little stir mm-hmm. um, and, and have impacted a lot of people. Um, both of them are uh, pretty interesting just to watch. Uh, from they're both watch you know, very watchable sort of documentaries. Um, Forks or uh, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead um, is the story of this one guy who basically has major major health issues. So he does a sixty day juice fast basically, mm-hmm. um, and then travels across America during that time. He's from Australia, but he travels across America. Um, while on his fast and talks to people about health and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, it kind of starts out and you're like, okay, this is interesting and stuff. And about halfway through, it takes some really interesting twists. Um, he ends up meeting this guy at a truck stop who has the exact same really rare illness that he has. Interesting. Um, completely random. And this guy... Um, you know, is like a 450 pound trucker who has this major health issue. And, um, after the main character gets back to Australia, he had given this guy his number. Um, like if you need help, call me, I'll help you. And the guy calls him in tears, basically mm-hmm. saying that he thinks he's about to die and come back and help me. And so the second half of the movie is actually significantly more interesting than the first half of the movie, mm-hmm. but there was no way as they were making this documentary right. to know how this was going to happen. Um, but it's basically this the second guy's, um, this, this trucker, basically um, his brother is in a similar situation. He doesn't have actually as, as many health issues as him and ends up having a heart attack and stuff during the process of this guy getting better. So he's kind of like, that could have been me mm-hmm. um, if I hadn't. Anyhow, so very interesting documentary uh, to watch. Um, Forks Over Knives is a little bit more informational than uh, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, mm-hmm. um, but they're both very interesting. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the science behind all of it. Um, and so I'm not going to... I'm not even going to say what my thoughts are on the on the uh, the summations that these people make or not. I think that's kind of the point is that you need to make up your own mind on the information they are presenting um, you know, as far as health goes because I think that's that's kind of the point. But uh, they're very interesting and and even even if you don't go down the path of of what they are presenting, I think there is some very interesting stuff in there about about um, I don't know kind of corporate 
processing of food and the way it is presented to the American public. I think that is at least worth your time alone to kind of watch these. Did they change you? Did they, uh... Um... Is that <laughs> it's... I, I don't know how far my wife and I are going to go down. I already knew I needed to make some changes due to, to some of my mm-hmm. health stuff. So, um... Gave you some food for thought. I, it gave me some food okay. for thought, and we're and we're kind of discussing still because literally this has been in the last few days that we've seen them. Okay. So I don't know. I, I honestly don't know quite where we're going to land on stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it very interesting. worth a worth a look. I don't. I don't want to sway anybody's opinion really one way or the because I think it's I think it's very personal. Absolutely. And and I I think the big thing that I would say is that. Um, no matter how you fall on the ideas presented in these, mm-hmm. um, the point is to make an informed choice for yourself. Absolutely. Um, rather than just kind of doing it because it's what you've always done or because um, you, you know, do it because you're like, no, I'm, I'm okay with this or no, I'm not okay with this or, or whatever. I think that's, that to me was was the important part of this, and and so I think they did exactly what a documentary should do: is get you thinking. Good, I I, I completely agree. I think I think uh, far too many people don't educate themselves on yeah. the things that they do or the things that they believe. So, are those available on uh, streaming? Or yes, they... They, both of those are on Netflix streaming, I and um, yeah, uh, worth a look. I would definitely say um, another movie that I saw, not uh, even nearly as as heavy-handed as these. Um, I watched the uh, the 1991 Patrick Bergen and Uma Thurman Robin Hood. Um, so this is probably the Robin Hood that you never saw, um, because it came out right around the same time as Prince of Thieves, which is the one everybody saw. Um, but this is the better movie out of the two. Um, it was produced in Britain. Um, I think it only ever received here in America. It only received like a television release it didn't go to theaters because it was so overshadowed mm. um by kevin costner but um that's <laughs> um, a very large shadow yeah but uh it's a much much better movie it's you know it's obviously a, a significantly smaller budget um it's a uh significantly smaller film um you know the fight scenes are not nearly as choreographed and not and probably not nearly as as well done as other you know, larger movies might be, mm-hmm. but it's made up for in the um, the writing. I think is significantly better overall. There's a couple places where it still kind of falls a little short. Um, mm-hmm. I I love the way the Robin Hood origin happens in this. Um, it's very much more believable and political and. Um, and feels very personal at the same time. It, it, it feels like something that actually could have happened, um, as opposed to so many versions of the story, which are a little more fanciful or, I don't know, just a little broader in, in their understanding. This actually yeah. feels like something that could have happened um, at that point in time. That's cool. um, and, you know, it, it, it really does kind of... The, the point of the movie really focuses in on kind of the conflict between Saxon and Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, even going further than that, you know, the Saxon kind of being the the original owners of, of the land, the Normans kind of being these rulers who are coming in, and then even kind of the concept of, like, an outside force of, like, higher 
lords coming from France to England mm-hmm. and then kind of having their sway mm-hmm. um, in everything. It's yeah, yeah, it's very interesting in that. Um, and um, how would how would you compare this to other Robin Hood movies if you had to? Because I know yeah. I know you're a really big Robin Hood fan, and I know there's some great Robin Hood movies that I've seen and some less than great. How would you kind of put this in the, the ranking? Sure, this is this is one of my more favorite ones. It's you know it's not my favorite. Uh, I'm you know I'm still going to go with probably Errol Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, being probably the definitive Robin Hood at this point. Um, you know, uh, this is probably, uh, I would definitely say it's it's a... Why, hello there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I would say it's definitely a better movie than Prince of Thieves, um, definitely better than the second half of <laughs> Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Um, it's It's, if you... Uh, it's it's probably better overall than Ridley Scott's. Um, there's stuff I like about Ridley's, but then there's also some major flaws with yeah. his as well, um, which is a whole separate discussion. But um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely one of my more favorite um, takes on the story that's been filmed. Um, so yeah, uh, well worth your time, I would say. Cool. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I think we've talked about this one on the show before, too. I think we had talked about 50-50 at yeah, one point. I saw this and loved it. And uh, I was just going to say that I finally got caught up and watched it as well and bawled my eyes out and loved it. It was It's fantastic. Um, just, Joseph Gordon-Levitt just blows you away. Yeah. It's, it's raw. It's, um, it's beautiful and sad and, uh, you know, it's... It's it's just a beautiful kind of movie, and Anna Kendrick is kind of wonderful and awkward, yeah. and Seth Rogen kind of tries. He's he's not bad in it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he plays himself. He's you know coarse yeah. and vulgar, but at the yeah. same time, he's an incredibly great friend yeah. in it. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a cool role for him. I it is. I have much more respect for him like after see, this movie. I would like to see more movies like this with him in it. You know, mm-hmm. or him playing more of that kind of a character or role. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that is what I have seen basically here. So okay. Um, so that means it's time to uh, roll into Platoon. I suppose we could, since that is probably more why of why people here. is listening. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you put up with this this long, uh, yeah, we'll talk about Platoon here, the 1986 Oliver Stone classic. Yeah, written and directed by Oliver Stone, uh, starring Charlie Sheen, about a young man, uh, Chris, who drops out of college because he kind of feels like. Uh, the army is the right thing to be in, and fighting um, mm-hmm. in Vietnam is the right thing to do. And yeah, so, his his dad and his grandfather both exactly. Fought his grandfather in was in World War One. His dad was in World War Two. So he's kind of carrying on this family tradition of fighting for uh, one's country and fighting for mm-hmm. other people's freedom. And that lands him in Vietnam. Opening scene is the him landing in Vietnam. Yep. <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah, like stepping plane, out of the, the plane. door opening, and he's in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back in 1986, it won several Academy Awards. Um, so this is a movie that a lot of people agree is pretty fantastic. Uh, it won for Best Picture. It won Best Director. It won Best Sound, which I find interesting. <laughs> and then Best Film Editing. I don't disagree with any of those, but I found at least my DVD copy, the sound was a little, I thought, weird at times. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, it went for Best Sound, so like an odd choice of winning for this. I was like, there's a couple of times where characters' voices 
felt like they weren't really recorded well. I don't know. That's either here nor there. Um, anyway, where do you want to take yeah. it from here? Okay. Well, I was just going to comment on that. You know, I I can maybe see that at the same time. I, you know, I would also say that uh, I was actually noticing the sound as I listened to it and it or watched it and they really do use the sound of the movie to really evoke a lot of what is going on. There's, um, okay. I mean, when you kind of watch it, there's a lot of stuff of like all of these really oppressive trees and things. That's but, like, true. There's, there's always like these massive sounds of like the jungle going on. And, That's very true. And, um, you know, helicopters in the background and, you know, sometimes explosions, even though you can't see anything or so it definitely, That's true. I they definitely use that. sound to create kind of a tapestry of, I, yeah, there was one really cool scene. I thought where you, you have, um, the soldiers, they're all like kind of digging in and they're just kind of hanging out in this kind of area and they can hear a battle down in the valley and you can, and it's kind of a chilling sound because you can hear gunfight, you can hear explosions, you can mm-hmm. hear helicopters and you, so you basically know you're hearing people die mm-hmm. and you're just kind of helpless just to sit here with these troops who are also helpless to sit there and just kind of go, should we be helping them? We have not heard anything. So I guess we just sit here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, uh, yeah. Anyhow, it, the movie itself uh, is. Uh, I don't want to say it's like the father of of kind of the modern war movie. But oh, it, that's exactly it, what I was going to say. It really is. It's. Um, <laughs> I, I, I said this. This is this is the war movie we have now. Yeah. Um, if, if you have seen any other war movies from Braveheart to Saving Private um, Ryan, Saving Private, We Were Soldiers, uh, The Patriot, um, any any others? I know there's been tons of tons yeah. of those. The ones I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, they all do what this movie. Right, did basically, and it has it has a really interesting story to comment on that. Um, Oliver Stone kind of based a lot of this script off of his his experience in Vietnam, and he wanted to make this movie much earlier. Um, mm. But studios were like, no, 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 Vietnam is not going to be a subject that sells in the box office. And then um, Apocalypse Now was made, and so was Deer Hunter. And then the studios were like, well, now we have the best Vietnam movies in the world have already been made. There's no way we can make another one that's going to be any good. Um, and this, to me, out of those three movies I just mentioned, I know a lot of people are going to really, they will fall on their sword for Apocalypse Now. But um, to me, this is the quintessential movie, uh, the quintessential uh, Vietnam movie. And because of what we just said is um, Chris's journey, I feel, is almost the journey of all other war movies since then, which is you have this idealistic kid who goes, no, this is the right thing to do, this is the right war to fight, and then he gets there, and he very quickly is confronted with the fact that there is no black and white in war. There is no right and wrong. There just is. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's this disillusionment with war, this disillusionment with humanity, that has kind of become the the mold by which all other war movies have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they don't give that... Um, to a particular character, like they, do, but they do in like if you watch the Pacific, that's very much the story of the Pacific. Um, but then other movies, I kind of feel like kind of they at least treat war in that same way, where it's not glamorous. People die horrible deaths. It's painful. It's it's not a heroic thing. Mm-hmm. It's just people really kind of showing up to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um yeah and this is definitely a movie that I think takes that very very 
far. Um, you know, some I think some more recent movies have created hero characters that are maybe a little bit more heroic in the in the concept of battle and things. Right. Um, this movie is really a movie where there are no winners. It's, you know, yeah. everybody everybody loses in this, and some of them lose their lives, some of them lose their humanity, and some of them... Yeah, I think the tagline of this movie is, like, yeah. the first victim in war is innocence, you know, or the first yeah. casualty in war is innocence, and that's really what this movie mm-hmm. is about, and that's how it kind of ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those movies um, where I could tell you everything that happens in it, and it doesn't really matter right. um, what I would tell you because the point is to kind of experience it and to because as it's all put together as a cohesive package, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a chilling, um, very chilling, very moving, very um, just just a sad film almost. Um, it is. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of lets you know that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It reuses this uh, one particular piece of music, Adagio for Strings. As soon as you hear it, you'll recognize it. Mm-hmm. And But it's one of the first pieces of music you hear in the movie, and so it sets you off as this, like, uh, don't get excited about this. This isn't going to be a good time. And it, mm-hmm. it keeps coming back throughout the movie as this thing that kind of, it's kind of a funeral dirge mm-hmm. of a song and you just kind of go oh that's right this mm-hmm. still sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and you know and even the the soldiers kind of think that or talk about that how much better it is for the new kids to die like as yeah. soon as they get there rather than not to you know because, yeah, because it's, that way you don't you haven't experienced the torture and the hell that is mm-hmm. vietnam and mm-hmm. then you die it's like well at least you didn't have to experience everything we just did you yeah. can just die <laughs> yeah so it's um it's a very intense sort of movie. It's also a movie that has a lot of actors. Yes, this is like a that, who's who of famous actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Willem Dafoe. Um, yeah, Charlie Sheen being the, the lead. But then mm-hmm. you uh, you have Willem Dafoe, you have uh, Tom Berenger, mm-hmm. um, and then Johnny Depp is there in the background for like one scene. <laughs> um, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Keith David. It's like you just, every scene, you're like, oh, I know that guy. I know that mm-hmm. guy. You might not know their name. Um, but you know the face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody else. Uh, uh, Forgetting somebody. Scrubs. Uh, oh, John C. McGinley. Yeah, John C. McGinley. Yeah, Kelly and I laughed out loud. I always forget that he's in this. And when he shows up, um, uh, this is a, just a bit of a tangent, but in this television show Scrubs, there was an episode where it was revealed that the janitor used to be an actor and he was in The Fugitive. And that's because the actor playing the janitor actually was an actor in The Fugitive. So after watching this, I've decided this is Perry's backstory, that this is just a prequel for Scrubs. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's almost the same character. (laughs) Nice. But but on a more serious note for that actor, how haunting is his final scene? Oh my goodness. Because he's like, if you know John C. McGinley, he's this actor, he's the guy, he played Perry on, he played Dr. Cox on Scrubs. So you're kind of used to him being this kind of over-the-top braggart kind of a character mm-hmm. and he plays kind of a know-it-all in this movie but there comes a turning point where they're about to go into uh, down into like this valley and he goes i've got a bad feeling about this we should not be doing this i'm, I'm going die. to die you know yeah. i don't think i'm going to make it out of this i'm not going home and they're like hey it's orders do your job and then that battle is like this really harrowing traumatic thing for everybody who makes it out and he does make it out but he, when he's walking out of it, he's just like, I can't believe I did it. And even the way he does make it out 
is uh, could be viewed as kind of cowardly. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, and then he gets promoted to the head of the platoon. Right? Like, oh, now you're head of the platoon. Get back into it. And the sh- the final shot of him is just this. He just looks skeletal. He just looks mm-hmm. like the just the fear is in him that he's not ever going to go home, and he knows it. And it is one of the most chilling single shots on an actor I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. The way he pulls it off, uh, other than possibly Willem Dafoe's death yes. scene, the, the um, very iconic. It's the cover of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which you don't know necessarily until you see the movie. And you go, "Oh wow, they put mm-hmm. the, a major character's death as the poster for the movie." Um, the the shot everybody's seen with his arms flying up in the air as he's being gunned down. It is. Oh, but I mean, even, but like that, even the image alone doesn't really convey the emotion of it mm-hmm. unless you know the story of like the past forty minutes of that film leading mm-hmm. up to that point. Because this starting starting with this invasion of a little village. Yeah, well, because um, it's interesting. Even it, it ties perfectly into that concept that Chris believes one thing and it turns out to be another the movie does it with the characters as well when you first meet there's these three characters who essentially are constantly fighting for uh leadership of the platoon one guy who is the leader because it's his rank and then these two other guys who basically have divided the platoon between this group and that group right there's the lieutenant who has no control and then the the two sergeants and the two sergeants and so when you first meet the two sergeants you assume basically the best and the worst of the two of them you go oh he's the good guy he's the bad guy and then they kind of switch roles when you when their character is revealed more which is in the same way war is revealed to be an ugly thing and chris thought it was going to be a a valiant thing mm-hmm. and then um yeah like then exactly you go into that uh that little village where it really you know which is all just thing, a, all again a are, haunting sequence it's, oh it's awful i mean it's just yeah. like it is a terrible scene like filled with awful sounds like everything mm-hmm. in it is just like it just puts you on edge the whole scene and you know you really get to see the metal you get to see what every character is really what they are worth and what re- what comes out of them in that situation and uh the two sergeants are put at very uh diametric odds of each other and um and then it leads it leads to William Defoe's death, which is a thing that really also sets Chris off for the the third act. Basically, is him kind of in his own way wanting uh, justice for that, mm-hmm. and can there be justice or something mm-hmm. like that? I I think that is an interesting thing about this movie is that um, the second act of this movie mm-hmm. is actually one of the stronger parts of the film. Yeah, which is un- which is very <laughs> rare. Yeah. Um, and so that alone makes this this film a little noteworthy. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of those films. Um, it, I don't know, kind of the whole time I was watching it, um, I was thinking of the opening line in the Fallout series, which is "War, War never changes." And yeah. um, I you know, it's same. very true. This is this could be any war throughout history. When the, when the one guy goes, "Man, it's politics, man, politics," I was like. Mm-hmm. We haven't we haven't progressed. It's been yeah. almost fifty years, and we have not progressed. Yeah, it's you know, and you know, obviously everybody can get into the validity of mm-hmm. being in war or not, and that's I don't even think that's what this movie is about. No. Um, it, it has very little to do with should we be there or not. No. This movie is entirely about what happens to humans in war. Yes. And I think that's a very important thing to clarify with it. It's just, it's, 
Um, you know, it it truly is war is hell, and this movie shows that. Yeah, some characters question the motivation. You do have some of those conversations, but that is not at all what the movie is about. It is very much about the the exposing of men's character and you know their souls, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's a very surprisingly emotional film that I've seen. I don't know how many times at this point. I've seen it a lot, um, and it's still gets me um part mm-hmm. partly because my dad fought in vietnam and he has seen just about every vietnam movie there is ever been made on this you know and he says that this is the most accurate because if there's because if you because if i was going to point you to one movie that that gets it it's platoon mm-hmm. um he you know he said that if you want to understand boot camp watch the first half of full metal jacket then turn the movie off because then it just becomes a dumb war movie, <laughs> according mm-hmm. to my dad. Um, which I kind of agree. But um, Platoon, he says, he goes, he goes, you you landed there and you just got hit by this humidity and this heat wave of heat, and then you were in the thick of the jungle and you can't see anything. And that's like the first fifteen minutes of the movie is him not being able to see further than five, you know, the distance mm-hmm. of his arm. It's it's very claustrophobic even to watch because you feel just like you are in the middle of this jungle as well, yeah. and it's just it's it's awful. There's there is no comfort in no. this movie. I mean, it's it's the moments of comfort are very small and very few and far between. Very yeah. and even they're very desperate when they mm-hmm. do happen. It's like it's really characters really reaching out for something. Like I mm-hmm. need a respite. I need something, and so you kind of understand when they fall back on drugs and alcohol and whatnot um you kind of understand it when the next day they're seeing their friend's arms get blown off or whatever and it's Mm -hmm. it's rough yeah yeah it's it's an intense movie um something i was going to ask you scott Mm -hmm. you you were kind of live blogging oh yeah i was live tweeting as i watched it yeah and your wife said something yeah she uh we're, we're about halfway through the movie and she goes i just want you to know how different it would be if women waged war if women were in charge of armies how different it would be and i paused the movie and i said do tell <laughs> um because it, i'm just you know it's a conversation that we kind of go back and forth. we've kind of had it before but she's never said what she said um essentially she says if women were in charge they would not send their sons to battle they would bomb the hell out of whatever country that had, you know, attacked us. Or if we had to attack somebody, we would not send anybody's fathers or sons or brothers into battle. We would ultimately decide our fathers and sons are more important than yours, and we would just destroy your country. So we, would just, <laughs> we would basically just carpet bomb them. Yeah, and, not, and you know, moral whatever aside you know is that ethical is that something and mm-hmm. she kind of goes it honestly doesn't matter to women it's my family versus yours i'm going to do what i can to preserve my family yours is irrelevant if you're going to attack us so there's that don't fight us we will destroy you <laughs> you know and i thought it was really kind of an interesting thought and it's like i don't know that if that would ever happen in our political climate if anybody would be okay with us just you know completely raising a country you know from the sky um but uh it was kind of food for thought and it's something that i thought was uh it was interesting because i think there is a certain i think uh emotional truth to the statement especially when i when i look at the women that i love in my life and i see how much they're you know how a mother will fight for her children and will do anything to keep them out of harm's way um 
to the extent, you know, Kelly has never understood the, the glamour of the army, and she has actually been very, I should say the military, she's honestly been offended many times by the commercials in theaters and on TV when they kind of show men running in slow motion, and they're like, join the army, you know, and you see these guys running through the forest, and she's like, that's, that's just propaganda, it kind of offends her. And it's because of the love I think she has for the men in her life and that she doesn't want to see anybody die. And I think it, it, it comes from that nurturing place that they could, women could be so ruthless. <laughs> so, this, I don't know. It was just it was, it was this interesting moment. And I got, then after she says that, you turn the movie back on and you see these guys going into the village and you kind of go, yeah, I could see where a woman would want... It. You know, nobody wants that to happen, but I could see where a woman might step up and like go, no, no, no that's just not going to be even part of the equation. You're not going to be even allowed to get into that position where that might happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Alrighty. Yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't, yeah. It doesn't really have uh, much for my money. I would say to change the subject back to platoon specifically, yeah. this to me is Oliver Stone's best movie. He's done, he's made a lot of really, I think good movies, uh, JFK is definitely one of my favorite movies. I th- is a phenomenal piece of writing, but from beginning to end, I think this might be his strongest work. Um, Wall Street is also very good and is also very mm-hmm. timeless. I think, uh, and I would say JFK. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I really look at some of the other stuff. You look at like Alexander, and you look at uh, the Doors, and mm-hmm. Born on the Fourth of July. I'm not W W. Um, you look at some of that stuff. You go like they're not bad. I'm not saying those are bad movies, but to me, I don't. I, don't, I think he really hit it out of the park with Platoon. Yeah. They they definitely are not Platoon. Yeah, yeah. I would no. I would agree. I, this is this is definitely. Um, I mean, this is this is one of those movies that is in many ways an instant classic kind of movie, um, and. Uh, you know, I guess this is moving a little bit into our verdict on it a little bit, but you know, I would say it is well deserving of being on this list. It definitely, um, it definitely captures a moment in history, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, even though it's a somewhat fictional telling of that moment. But at the same time, it's it's yeah very accurate, even and, if it's not completely factually accurate as like yes. you know because it is a fictitious story. Um, I think it is emotionally accurate. Exactly. You know, it's like whether it's the way we look back on it, or it's even just a time capsule of that time of the 1960s when that was going on. I think that's exactly. Like, again, I, I fall back on my dad's opinion of, the, of uh, this has to be the most accurate uh, depiction of it because it's not an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's not heroic, really. It just is. Um, this also brings up an interesting topic for me, um, which is the anti-war movie. People, mm-hmm. I think, have tried to make movies that are kind of anti-war or talk about the uh, the dangers of war. Um, and I read this really interesting book uh, called Jarhead uh, by Anthony Swafford, and they made the movie out of it. Um, and he has said that uh, they have never actually made an anti-war movie. Every war movie ends up making men want to go to war. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been his experience. And if you watch... And if you watch most movies, I can actually see his point because most movies end up making heroes out of people and everybody kind of wants to be a hero. Mm-hmm. And so for my money, though, if there were ever... A, to me, there are two anti-war movies. One is this one and one is actually Jarhead. If you watch those, um, maybe not back-to-back, 
but they both <laughs> they both do not glamorize war in any way and Jarhead even more so because it actually frustrates you because he never actually gets to do anything he was trained to do um, and so it actually does kind of become an anti-war movie other than that um, yeah hmm. indeed um Sorry, sorry. Was that supposed to be my verdict time? <laughs> verdict. I own this movie, and I think if you haven't seen it, you need to remedy that instantaneously. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes, I, no, I would agree. It's it's definitely one of those um, movies that you you should have seen or you should go see um, if you haven't seen it already. It's um, you know, it's just as important in its own way as mm-hmm. your Schindler's Lists and Saving yeah. Private Ryan's and and any of those kinds of movies, you know, yeah. well worth, well worth your investment of a couple of hours. It's going to be emotionally draining and you're going to be frustrated and horrified and saddened by it. But at the same time, incredibly worth your time. And I kind of felt like by the end of it, part of the message of the movie, and this is maybe again, me just coming from a, military family is that the message of the movie is that it is not our role as citizens necessarily or it's not our duty to understand um, but it's our duty to appreciate <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what the soldiers go through because ultimately we even with movies like this or even with documentaries we'll never understand what it's like to be in the jungle in the middle of the night and have people trying to kill you who don't know you but are who are hell-bent on your destruction we'll never know what that's like and we really are not in any place to ever judge decisions really you know even mm-hmm. with this movie it's like even if it comes down to that it's like our, whose role is it to judge these people and the decisions they have to make at a moment's notice um it, it, it brings up a lot for me emotionally mm-hmm. and um i really can't recommend it enough you know do know again I always say this, uh, R-rated film, lots of language, uh, lots of horrible things you're going to see, um, but it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, yes, that is Platoon. Um, next week, we are completely <laughs> changing up. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do the, uh, the Marx Brothers off-the-wall comedy A Night at the Opera. So um, I'm super excited. I haven't seen this one. <laughs> I love the Marx Brothers, though. So yeah, that that is what we are doing next week. So, yeah, so um, come, uh, so please come back next week. And if you've made it to the end of this podcast, I would really highly recommend you. Uh, if you like, if you like us, uh, tell people about us. Uh, we do this for you just as much as we do it for us. Um, and we'd like more people to join in the conversation. So spread the word on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, like us on iTunes. Give us a positive rating. If you don't have a positive rating for us, go rate something else. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, but you know, make sure that you're following us on Twitter yeah. um, at Movies You Should, and on our uh, Facebook page. We always will update stuff. And when we've been starting to record these listener requests, uh, we will send the question. You know, we will ask people. And if you have a movie that you want to us to check out, that's the way to get a hold of us is through Facebook or through the website or through Twitter. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, we will see you next time. And thanks for listening. See you next week. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 